Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. What sort of conditions require someone to get checked out in the emergency room? And how has COVID changed a lot of that? Well, today I'm joined in the studio by Dr. Jason Fleming. He is the Medical Director of Emergency Services at Kuakini Medical Center. And we are going to be talking today about how the world has changed in the last couple of years, what's happened in emergency rooms, and how we can make sure that if we have an emergency, we go to the right place. But if it's not an emergency, what are some other common conditions that you might be able to see your regular provider for? So I want to thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much, Kathleen. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk with you because... Boy, the world has changed dramatically in the last couple of years. You've been in emergency medicine for a few decades now, and you've seen a lot of changes over this time. Uh, Tell me about the biggest changes you saw with COVID. Sure. Well, it's been uh, quite an exciting couple of years for the emergency department. Uh, When, let's see, if we go back to March of 2020, which would be when the pandemic started to hit Hawaii, At that time, we really didn't know even how to forecast what was going to happen to us then. Uh, We didn't know much about the virus. We didn't know much about how it was transmitted. And we were having a hard time predicting how it was going to affect our healthcare system. So it's really a testament to every single one of the healthcare workers who works in the emergency departments on the front lines and the hospitals that we have managed to navigate this pandemic in Hawaii so well. I think uh, you may be aware that Hawaii was ranked very, very highly in terms of its pandemic response across the whole country. Um, And that is uh, due to the hard work of the folks that I I have the pleasure of working with in the emergency department. I have to say, the ER docs, frontline workers, they're the ones that are getting people coming in, people who are sick, people getting diagnosed, dealing with tents, and all this other sort of stuff that you had to deal with every day. Utmost, utmost respect and absolute admiration for emergency room folks. And that goes from the docs to the nurses to the housekeepers to the techs to everybody in that entire in that entire room because it takes a, a true team effort. It can't just be one person. Yeah, that's right. You know, I, I just remember one little kiddo that I was taking care of in the emergency department. He was a little scared about what was about to happen. We were going to take care of him. Uh, But I could tell from the look on his face that he had a little bit of hesitation. And I asked him, hey, do you know what the difference is between being brave and having courage? And he said, I don't know. And and I I said, look, if you're not afraid, then, then you can be brave. That's what being brave is. But if you're afraid and you do it anyway, then that's courage. And I can't tell you how much courage I've seen uh, with all of these folks, like you said, the housekeepers, the unit secretaries, the nurses, and uh, my colleagues, the physicians. They've done an outstanding job. Amazing. Absolutely. I agree. Now, people originally were coming in because we didn't know much about this virus, how it was going to affect people, what it was going to do. People didn't know, are there treatments? Do I stay home? Should I? What do I do if I can't breathe? A lot has changed in the last couple of years in how we manage COVID. So 
from what we used to tell people to what we do, what are some of the basic ideas or principles that people can kind of consider now? We're now in the Omicron phase. We're going to see BA4 and 5. We have already, but we may see an increased number of those. It's a milder form of the virus from what we can tell. But for some people, it still provides some pretty significant symptoms. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, we've we've seen these phases of the virus progress. Each one has had its own features, its own characteristics that we've had to wrap our minds around and try to understand. This current phase of the pandemic is characterized by a virus that seems to make the population a little less intensely sick than some previous waves. Yeah, that's true, but it also seems to be very contagious. And so a lot of people are getting this virus now. I'm sure everybody knows somebody who's been out with COVID in the last couple of weeks. And that has collided with just the, the natural season of the calendar now, where we have graduations, we've got parties, we've got uh, travel opening up and more people from Hawaii going out of town, uh, just as we have more people from out of town coming to visit the island. So all of that has uh, caused there to be quite a lot of area under the curve when you're measuring uh, how much burden of the virus there is out in our community. Um, And believe it or not, there's still plenty of people who have not even had one COVID vaccine. So those folks are at particular risk in this kind of environment because they may not have uh, the same kind of immune response that Uh, the majority of folks in Hawaii who have had some vaccines uh, are going to mount. And if you see someone who has no immunization or maybe incomplete immunization versus someone who's fully immunized, what do you see different clinically if they happen to present to the ER with COVID symptoms? Do you see a difference in those populations? Yeah, we we tend to. I mean, uh, at this point, we can probably all of us could say there seems to be fairly wide variability in what kind of constellation of symptoms people present with with the Omicron variant or with whatever is going on right now. Um, But people who have incomplete vaccines or um, no vaccines at all are at higher risk for presenting with more of those classic COVID symptoms, a shortness of breath with chest x-rays that show lung damage already, and sometimes even today with uh, low oxygen levels that require hospitalization and intense support. So in that situation, somebody might have to be hospitalized. We still do have COVID wards at all of the hospitals, maybe not the surge that we saw a couple of times in the last couple of years, but there are still patients with COVID who have to be admitted. That's absolutely true. And it tends to, just as, as it has this entire time, to predominantly affect folks that are medically fragile or vulnerable in one way or another. Uh, so patients of advanced age with complex medical problems, those folks tend to be at higher risk for ending up in the hospital with COVID. That's definitely true. And just like we all know someone who might have been out with COVID, a lot of us know someone who's older, who might be medically fragile, who might have some other situation that would put them at a higher risk. Yeah, that's right. And and those folks who are getting hospitalized with COVID in their 80s or 90s are kupuna that we are, are we have an obligation to look out for and care for. They cared for us when we were young. Uh, those folks can be fully vaccinated and still end up sick enough to be hospitalized. Uh, And when they're hospitalized, they often have multiple things going wrong at the same time. It's not just COVID. It's COVID plus two or three or four other things that are all kind of going wrong at the same time, made worse and more complex by the COVID. 
Sure, the infection can set off kidney troubles, a heart problem, any other pre-existing condition could exacerbate because of your body trying to fight off this other infection. That's right. And it, and it complexifies the medical care that the hospital has to provide because uh, just having COVID puts this extra layer of complexity on uh, even walking in and out of the room. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about what are the symptoms that would suggest that someone needs to be checked out in an ER and how, what are some of the signs that they could stay home and talk with their provider and consider some of the other treatments out there. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian motor experts, and Chaminade University. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Jason Fleming. He's the Medical Director of Emergency Services at Kuakini Medical Center. And we're talking today about COVID. Uh, From the beginning, we've seen a change in some of the symptoms and manifestations of this infection. We also see a change in what we're seeing these days as well. Sometimes folks who might not have been vaccinated may present with symptoms a little more severe than those folks who were fully vaccinated. But Our medically fragile community still is at risk. Now, you know, when you think about COVID for younger people or for people who are relatively healthy, they may not necessarily need to go to the emergency room if they feel okay. I've had a lot of patients call me, say, you know what, I want to try the Paxlovid. I want to try and get on this. I'm in my first five days of symptoms. I don't want to be in the hospital. I have certain conditions that make me qualified for that. And so a lot of providers are making sure that patients have access to this medicine. It's not the only medicine out there. It just so happens we have a lot of it in the community. But what would be some signs or symptoms that they should go beyond just calling me on the phone to coming to see you? Sure. That's a great question. Uh, And we we help people work through that every day in the emergency department, too. Uh, COVID tends to make people feel terrible. So uh, that's not out of the ordinary. Uh, and, and the way that we've seen COVID present is often a lot of upper respiratory symptoms, runny nose, stuffy nose, sore throat, cough. Sometimes the cough is productive, sometimes of yellow stuff or clear stuff. Uh, and people have a hard time sleeping because of all of those symptoms. Other times, COVID can present with gastrointestinal symptoms like diarrhea or abdominal cramping, uh, loss of appetite, and so forth. But the real problem with COVID and why we would want people to come straight to the emergency department is that it can damage your lungs and make you have trouble breathing. And you need to breathe to survive. So when you come to the emergency department, either knowing you have COVID to be checked out or because you think you might have COVID and you want to test, uh, what we do from the physician's perspective is to determine right away what your vital signs are, what your oxygen level is. And that tells us right away whether you're going to be hospitalized today with COVID or whether you're going to be able to go home ultimately. You can kind of just look at people and you know, with your many years of experience, you could look at someone and say, they don't look good. There's something going on. They're probably going to stay versus, hmm, I think they might be able to make it and be able to go home. 
and maybe require oxygen in some cases or in some cases just be able to take medication and get some reassurance and close connection with their providers. So when you see somebody, if their oxygen level is low based on what normally should be or if they're breathing too fast or if it looks like their heart's going too fast or they have a super high fever, these are all signs of concern. That's correct, yeah. So we, we lean on that initial evaluation. When, when you come to an emergency department, the first thing that happens is you go through something called triage, where the nurse, typically, who's working at the front door, will assess the patient and take vital signs, find out why they're here, uh, and, and take a first look at what this problem might be. And they typically will share that with the physicians on duty uh, so that as a team we can determine who is next. Uh, and we make that determination not just on who arrives first, but on who is the sickest. That person comes first. So when somebody arrives uh, with COVID or with symptoms that might be COVID, first step is uh, taking the vital signs, evaluating them for how serious this might be. And that could mean uh, that you go next to one of a variety of places. You could um, Go straight into a negative pressure room, which sucks air in and doesn't let the air really out around the door frame in order to protect the rest of the emergency department because we've determined that this might be a high-risk situation. Uh, you might see nurses and physicians gowning up with masks and hoods and all sorts of stuff. Or you could be asked, uh, if you're patient enough and, and so kind, to wait in a chair just outside of the emergency department. Uh, because that's the safest thing for you to keep you out of there and maybe the safest thing for other patients inside who might be uh, medically fragile or at particular risk. It's a really important thing that I want to emphasize, as you mentioned, that the sickest people will get seen first. So emergency rooms, a lot of times people say, I waited a long time. But the reality is that anybody who comes in either in an ambulance or having chest pain or potential heart attack or stroke or something that's life-threatening, you, If you were that person, you would want to be able to be seen immediately. That's kind of how things go, that the person who is in the most distress physically, and that's who's going to be seen first. So if, if you're doing okay, you kind of have to consider if you weren't, you would be the person who was jumping the line to get seen immediately. So it's really, it's not because you guys are sitting around saying, hmm, well, maybe it's time to go have a seat. Never. I can't say I've ever walked into an emergency room and not had that sense of a little bit of panic and frenzy. We've got a lot to do in a little bit of time. Yeah, that's right. The people who go into emergency medicine are all about action. They, they want activity like it's their oxygen. And so um, uh, they are always looking for ways to help people, to move people, to help the sickest people, to help the most amount of people today. And in an average shift, how many patients in a busy shift might someone might come in through the emergency room in like as shifts are about 8, 10, 12 hours? Sure. Yeah. Most emergency physician shifts are 8 to 12 hours. In some much smaller emergency departments, critical access hospitals out in a very rural area, maybe those shifts might be 24 hours. Um, but uh, typically the emergency physician on duty will see anywhere from anywhere up to 25 or even 30 patients during their shift. Uh, the average would be a little bit less than that, maybe 20 patients in a shift. And so the busier the emergency department, the more you have to uh, staff it to meet the demand. 
And that's the other key aspect that I think bears repeating, which is, you know, the staffing is not just the physician. It's also the nurses. It's respiratory department and respiratory techs. It's having people to turn over the beds, clean them, housekeeping. It's having a hospital support so that you can have patients go to the floors if they need to be admitted. It really is this this very complicated arrangement of trying to get people moved to the most appropriate location for them. And there's so many moving parts. It amazes me that it works the way it does. That's right. It is the most complex work environment I can possibly imagine. There's so many moving parts. And uh, the goal of it really is to discern which patients need our help right now. And if they don't need our help right now, what do they need to either get an answer for what's happening today or get the treatment they need? Uh, The emergency department is a tremendously powerful tool. And that tool is designed to save lives. And uh, we are also very good at treating a lot of people very quickly, even for non-life-threatening things. But its primary design is to save lives. And so, you know, just I have to say, just today I was talking with with a patient who had gone to an emergency room and uh, was told, we didn't find anything on your scans, and came in to see me and said, well, everything was normal. And I said, Oh, no, no, it wasn't. And they said, what do you mean? I said, oh, well, there were all these things. But this was not related to why you went to the emergency room. So you went in because you had this symptom of chest pain. They made sure you weren't having a heart attack. That's 100% true. But there were some other findings on your labs. You know, let's take a look. Your liver numbers are up. Your cholesterol is something that we've known in the past has been high. There's a lot of findings, just not anything that was going to affect your life at that moment. So when you're told, quote, everything's normal, it means you don't need to stay here right now. You need to follow up because there might be some other things going on. Yeah, that's a great explanation and a great example of something that happens every single day. Uh, the emergency physician's role in this is really as a specialist. I, uh, one of the fondest uh, memories I have in my career and one of the greatest compliments I have gotten is when one of my patients will say to me, when are you going to open your own practice? Uh, which, which brings a smile to my face, but I also know it's because uh, not a lot of people realize that emergency medicine is a specialty. You have to train specifically to do this job. So just as, for example, an ophthalmologist does eyes, that's what they do. They may understand diabetes or hypertension, but they do eyes. In the same way, an emergency physician does emergencies. We also understand diabetes and hypertension, but we recognize that we have a role as a member of the healthcare team. And we don't want to step over the line into the area occupied by the primary care physician. It's just not right for patients, for the emergency physician, to start making changes to their medications or, or, or uh, their plan of treatment. Uh, those are often conversations best had between the patient and the primary care physician who coordinates care and can have kind of the the global view of the health of of the patient. So uh, when people come to the emergency department, we we do our best to try to find answers. Our primary concern is to investigate for and rule out emergency conditions, the things that could hurt you today. Uh, But if we don't find one of those, that doesn't mean nothing was wrong. It doesn't mean that you weren't having pain or that this thing wasn't bothering you. It just means that, hey, good news, we made it to here. We've crossed a lot of things off the list. It's safe to go home and follow up with uh, the person who knows you best. All right. 
Words we can all live by. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, I'm going to continue my discussion with Dr. Jason Fleming, Kuakini Medical Director for Emergency Services. And we're going to talk a little bit about where we see things going now with COVID and what to do. Should we have another episode of a surge or should we see more people coming in, getting sick from all sorts of things? I think the flu is making a way back as well. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today I'm talking with Dr. Jason Fleming. He is the Medical Director of Emergency Services at Kuakini Medical Center. And we're talking a little bit about what happens when you go to the ER if you have COVID symptoms, when should you get checked out, and when you're there, why might things not necessarily be exactly the way you might expect. We talked a little bit about why the sickest person needs to be seen first, and how if you're told you're okay and safe to go home, there is a need to follow up with your regular provider to make sure that any of those other symptoms or concerns you have get addressed fully because they might not have found an emergency condition, but there might be some other things going on in your health that you want to have checked out. Now, prior to COVID, emergency rooms were still really busy and we're about to embark on the cold and flu season that we usually see hitting in the fall. We tend to see this when kids go back to school, when people go on vacation, they come back home. So now that we're going to be looking at that, there might be like a dual flu and and COVID or these other infections we haven't seen in a while, which has been great. I haven't needed to give a lot of antibiotics and that's good. We don't want to create resistant bacteria, but now we might start to see some of those conditions that we don't normally or we haven't normally seen in the last couple of years. How might flu present a little differently than COVID? It's a great question. I, I love the notion that we're going to look forward to the next few months and see if we can anticipate uh, what is going to come uh, down the pike for us. Um, what we've seen over the last two years is the power of doing these small things uh, that make a big difference, uh, social distancing, wearing masks, uh, hygiene, washing your hands. Uh, those things made a tremendous difference in what we uh, often called uh, in the early days of the pandemic flattening the curve or making sure that not everybody gets clobbered with the same illness all at once. Uh, and so I think now we as a, as a community are wiser. We, we have these tools. We've used them before. Even as we kind of back away from them during this phase of the pandemic, I see fewer masks now. I see maybe half the people in the coffee shop or the 7-Eleven are wearing masks, uh, whereas it was 100 percent not that long ago. Um, as the prevalence of certain illnesses, as we get into the cold and flu season, as all of that starts to go up, then I would anticipate folks um, leaning on the wisdom that they've acquired during the last couple of years. And and going back to wearing masks uh, when they're concerned or especially if they themselves are getting sick. Um, we're we're going to see a lot of upper respiratory infections, especially for all the reasons you say, that there's more travel, that the kids are going back to school, and that tends to infect families who tend to infect family members, even extended family members. That tends to get into where mom and dad go to work, and it runs through the community in this way. And you know, if we can stop that by having folks start to wear masks and to, to distance from other people at the first sign of illness, that'll go a long way to preventing, 
you know, a huge number of people getting sick all at once. Yeah, I remember that, you know, prior to the pandemic, if I ever got sick, which happened occasionally, I would probably be able to remember which patient it was that I was seeing that maybe I had gotten too close to or maybe I wasn't, you know, at that time, nobody wore a mask. We just didn't think about it. And so, you know, now I think the medical professions, we're probably going to continue to wear masks maybe longer than the general public, but also because if someone comes in with respiratory symptoms, we want to protect our other patients. We want to protect them. And part of that is being able to continue to go to work. So if all the doctors are out, if all the nurses are out, if all the medical assistants and staff are out because we've gotten exposed, then more people need medical care. So it kind of is going to take this this group effort of all of us. So if you do wind up saying, well, I don't have to wear a mask outside. Why do I have to wear it in my doctor's office? Or why do I have to wear it if I go to the emergency room? Really, it's because we're trying to protect everybody around you and you from potentially getting these other respiratory infections that we were lucky to not have seen. But, you know, it doesn't mean they went away. They're coming back. Yeah, that's right. And a great point about sort of protecting the healthcare workforce as an effort to um, pr- protect the capacity we have to care for the community. You know, uh, in the last month or two, many hospitals and healthcare facilities have had. Um, a large number of workers call out sick. Um, you know, that's either because they've been exposed at home or they themselves have gotten symptoms. It's not the same thing as um, some other jobs where you could just stay home if you're sick. If you have a large number of nurses sick, for example, then the hospital can't provide the same capacity or capability that they are designed to provide. And what that means for patients is sometimes you need specialty care and the hospital that delivers that care can't accept you or has no space because one portion of their nursing or or other support staff is out sick. Uh, It could mean that you can't get in to see your uh, doctor because either they or their staff are out sick and they've had to close the office for one reason or another. So uh, we are all in this together. And one of the great things about Hawaii uh, is that we are on an island. We have an island mentality. We are in this together. And uh, and and I know that as we go through this next cold and flu season, I think the folks that, um, that care about each other, which is everybody here, uh, they're going to um, uh, take that seriously and, and do, use the appropriate precautions to prevent the wild spread of these respiratory illnesses. Like never before. I really think we've learned a lot of lessons in the last couple of years. And wash your hands, sanitize your hands. People now carry sanitizer and use it a lot, which I think is a really good thing to try and prevent people from getting sick, keeping in mind that, you know, alcohol is in a lot of the sanitizers and you don't become resistant to it. The way that it works is not like antibiotics or not like other sort of things. It it kills the virus. It doesn't make them able to get resistant to alcohol or bleach or those types of chemicals. So, you know, those things are very safe and you can use them and not feel like, oh, no, what if I overuse them? We're never going to have an alcohol or bleach resistant virus. It's just it's not possible. So. So there are some good reasons why we need to make sure that we are careful in our environment. And like you said, stay home when you're sick. You know, I think before there was this sense, even amongst medical professionals, that we had to sort of continue to go to work. We were strong people if we came, even though sick. Not anymore. I think we've now all recognized that you can't risk exposing other people. 
That's right. I mean, all of our patients deserve safe and competent care. And uh, we don't want to put them at risk by going to work if we ourselves are sick. Now, we take a lot of precautions in the emergency department. We have access to the very best personal protective equipment. Uh, we um, do everything we can both to protect ourselves but to protect the patients when we walk into the rooms. Um, but, yeah, the best way to prevent yourself getting sick is to stay away from folks who might get you sick. And if you are sick, stay home. And, you know, we can't necessarily do our jobs without going into the hospital or going to see patients. Uh, but if if you're sick and you, you can stay home and do your work from home, there is always that opportunity. You know, you could potentially work from home that day for those people lucky enough in that arrangement. Well, I certainly want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. Dr. Jason Fleming, he is the Medical Director of Emergency Services at Kuakini Medical Center. And we are going to have a second part to our discussion on how to make sure that you try and keep yourself safe this summer so that you don't wind up needing emergency care. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next time right here when we talk about health topics and how to stay well. Monday on The Body Show. We'll see you then.